Hi, everyone, and welcome to the HR Works Podcast, brought to you by HR Daily Advisor. I'm your host, Josh Zygmunt, Content Director for Simplify Media. The HR Works Podcast provides clear, relevant, and actionable information on topics that matter to you, the HR professional. When you're armed with the best practices and strategies to attract, retain, and engage top talent and deliver exceptional service to your organization, HR just works. On today's episode, we're joined by Dr. Jessica Kriegel, Chief Scientist of Workplace Culture for Culture Partners, a leading culture consulting firm. For over 15 years, Jessica has been guiding global, national, and Fortune 100 organizations, building pathways to creating intentional cultures that accelerate performance. She joined Culture Partners as their Chief Scientist of Workplace Culture in June 2022 and leads their research and strategy in best practices for driving results through culture. In addition to her role at Culture Partners, Jessica is also a well-known keynote speaker and frequent guest of CNN's Early Start, where she leverages her current research and experience in organizational culture innovation, providing leaders with the roadmap and tools for building cultures that actually deliver results. I'm excited to have Jessica joining us today for the HR Works podcast and wanted to bring her on to discuss a movement she's championing that combats the current trend of over-meeting that is holding back the modern workplace culture we know, something she's calling the meeting apocalypse. So without further ado, let's get her introduced. Jessica, welcome to the HR Works Podcast. Thanks for coming on. Thank you so much for having me. Well, it is great to have you on. I'm excited to get you introduced to our audience. Let's start off there. What led you to pursuing a career focused around workplace culture and its impact on business performance? You know, early in my career, my family had a saying, which was, get to Wednesday. And we would repeat it all the time because Tuesday was the day that I had my team meeting and my one-on-one with my manager. And the workplace culture was so toxic at that company that will remain nameless that it was about just get to Wednesday, dude, just get to Wednesday. Because when you get on the other side of Tuesday, life opens up again. Tuesday, I would cry every single Tuesday either on the team meeting, after the team meeting, after my one-on-one, the workplace culture was so toxic that it affected my mental health. It affected my family. It affected my ability to get a good night's sleep. Everything in my life changed because of bad culture. And I, in my older age, I mean, I would say when I was younger, a lot of my life was about me and what I wanted and what I thought I needed in order to feel good enough and successful enough. And as I get older, it's really about the impact I can make. And I happen to be in this space. And it feels like if we can make better workplace cultures and unleash the power of culture to inspire people and businesses to reach their full potential, then we create better parents that creates better communities. And, and somehow in some very unique way, I'm making the world a better place. Get to Wednesday is a great way to get us kicked off. It was something that affected you personally in the workplace. And we're able to turn that into a career where now you're helping other people find better ways to impact and create positive workplace culture. So thank you just for sharing that background. That's really exciting. Yeah, well, it wasn't exciting at the time. I could tell I'm you. Sure. <laughs> Come and learn that over time. And as you mentioned, yeah, usually, again, as young professionals, you are thinking more about yourself. But then as you grow as a professional in the space, you realize that there's so much that you can do that matters to you that can also help other people. So great to have you in that space. Great to have you on here with this audience today, too, to talk about something that matters to all of us, workplace culture. Let's jump in and look at the state of workplace culture, as we know, in 2023. So knowing each organization really has a unique culture, and we talk about that often culture is so unique and no two are really identical. Are you seeing any common trends just across the workplace in culture 
that we can call out for 2023 that really define where we are? Yeah, I think that the leader has evolved to elevate their thinking about culture. Five years ago, I was banging the drumbeat of culture is not about ping pong tables. It's not about happy hours and thirsty Thursdays and water cooler talk. That's not what culture is. And everyone's mind was blown because that was what our perception of culture was. And these days when I talk to CHROs and CEOs, I don't have to tell them it's not about ping pong tables because they understand that. So we're getting closer to understanding what culture is. We're still not aligned with one definition. There is no clear answer to what culture is where I could ask 100 CEOs to define culture and they would all say the same thing. We think we have the answer and the answer is culture is the way that people think and act to get results. Very simple. And when you think about how to craft culture, you need to be thinking about the way people think and the way people act in order to get results. Culture and results are one and the same. We see culture as the way to get results. We actually have research with Stanford that tells us that culture is the way to get results more than strategy. Peter Drucker was right. I don't even have to explain that reference for your audience. I love talking to HR people. But that is really the the elevation of the thinking of culture is what I see. Now, the next frontier in the culture world and what my challenge and exciting my opportunity is in my career is to help people understand how to operationalize culture. Every company has culture memorialized in some way. Not a lot of companies know how to operationalize that culture at scale. And that's what we're expert in. And that's what I'm here to help people do. I love it. Right. You can talk about it. Everyone knows that it's important. But how do you actually put it into practice? How do you actually delve into that and create a culture that matters? Yeah, I was at a company yesterday that, again, will remain nameless, talking to one of these really wildly smart managing director people. And I asked him about his culture and he said, oh, yeah, we have a value statement. I don't remember what it is, but dot, dot, dot. And I just interrupted him and said, stop talking then stop talking. Why are you talking about culture if you can't even remember what your value statement is? That's a memorialization of culture. And it's clearly not operationalized at that company. And and that's what we want to solve for. Right. The mission statement, the value statement isn't something you put up on the wall and walk away from. That's your central line right there. That's what's keeping everything tied in. And if, if you don't have that down, it's hard to think that everything's going to fall in line and really define who you are. Yeah, absolutely. I do love what you said, though, too, about understanding what culture was not. I think we learned that so much over the last three years, especially as so many teams moved out of workplaces where it wasn't the space that really defined your culture. It wasn't what was around. It was so much more than that. And you started to see as things were taken away, you quickly understood what didn't matter when building culture. Yeah. That's really interesting is kind of learning what didn't work. And I think that brings us to the next piece I want to talk about which is the idea of the meeting apocalypse. So as I mentioned, you're a regular contributor to CNN's early start. And recently you were on speaking about the meeting apocalypse. I love this. My marketing mind goes crazy hearing it. So can you help us break down what you mean by saying the meeting apocalypse? We need to burn meetings to the ground. And I imagine a nuclear bomb going off on everyone's outlook calendars and clearing the the brush so that we can bring new life to those Outlook calendars. That's the the metaphor I'm trying to conjure in people's minds. I I think with going to work from home and remote work post-COVID, a lot of companies were thrown into the deep end. Others were better positioned to do that. I was working at Oracle when COVID happened and we had been a virtual company for many years. So it was 
business as usual for most teams at Oracle, and we were fine. For many companies, that wasn't the case. They were used to going into the office every day, and suddenly they had to figure out virtual remote work, and they didn't know where to start. And people were afraid of, quote, losing the culture. And that's because there was a misconception that culture is housed in the four walls of the headquarters and it only happens in person. And it's not true. And I think a lot of people get that now. Those that don't are requiring companies to get back into the office. We got to get back into the office. That's old school thought. Culture is the way people think and act. And I think and I act in a virtual environment just as I do in an office with my colleagues. When I send a text, that's an action. When I think about the way that you just spoke to me and how I react to that, that's that's a thinking, right? That happens virtually or in person. But what we did in order to not lose culture was we started scheduling a bunch of meetings. We said, okay, we gotta have more meetings. We gotta get together. We'll do virtual happy hours. Do you remember how many virtual happy hours you had in 2020? Oh, countless. It was horrible. It was, I, nobody liked those virtual happy hours. I mean, it was just, I mean, maybe you liked the first one because it was moderately interesting. But then the second, the third, the fourth, you were over it. And then we just started blocking off all these recurring meetings and we were in meeting overload. There's actually a study by Microsoft their work trend index 2023 shows that 57% of our time is spent communicating. That's, you know, meetings, calls, emails, and only 43% is actually spent iterating, which is producing, creating, doing stuff, building the widget, selling the widget, you know? Yeah. And the, those numbers were reversed. They were flipped 10 years ago. So we're drowning in these useful meetings and the meeting apocalypse, I haven't told you how yet, but really at its core, we're trying to reverse that trend and free up our time again so that we're not on these back-to-back-to-back Zoom calls that are draining our energy and wasting our time. I love that concept, and you're, you're so right in that because we went virtual and so heavy on virtual and found multiple modes of communication now too, right? It's not just sitting in a meeting room. It's not just having the conversation at the water cooler. You can reach and communicate with your colleagues so many ways, right? It can be video. It can be by call. It can be through chat tools, through email, so many ways just to be in touch now that it becomes that overload you spoke to. And now that we've gone virtual with meetings, you don't even have that time between meetings to get from point A to point B in a physical space. It's closing one box and opening the next. So it becomes very easy to stack meeting after meeting over and over and over again, where getting to Wednesday means getting through a lot of meetings to get there. Yeah, I mean, how many days have you had back-to-back-to-backs? How many Zoom calls have you joined where the first thing someone says is, sorry, I've, I've got to take a quick bio break because they've been on back-to-backs and they haven't had a moment. That can't be good for us. And let's zoom out for a second and talk about the larger impact on people. Our consciousness is fragmenting because the nature of communications, as you said, is getting spread so thin. I get a ping on my text, a Slack message notification, an email pop-up, I get a phone call, I get a Zoom call I've got to dial into, I'm getting bombarded with notifications that distract my attention and there's very little periods of time where I can be focused on one thing. It's like we're giving ourselves ADHD in the way that we're interacting in the workplace. And I experienced that when I joined Culture Partners a year ago. I was, you know, onboarding is always tough. You're always drinking from a fire hose and I was overwhelmed and my work-life balance wasn't there. And I called my CEO and said, I'm just floundering. And he said, block your calendar every Tuesday and Thursday so that you have no meetings on those days so that you can do the work. 
And I was given permission, which was a really big part of this, is that I was given permission to say no to meetings by my manager. And by doing so, I became 10 times more productive because I knew I had dedicated time to iterate the actual production of the work I do, as opposed to meeting, 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 meeting. Yeah. And there's your culture, right? It's that culture of accepting that you can block time off and to give yourself that time to actually do the work. We've all been there. You come out of meetings and it's always that to-do list of takeaways or, okay, who is in charge of certain assignments? But if you're overbooked on meetings, when does that work get done? So I think that's so smart. And I love hearing that it was encouraged from the top to block off that time to actually get the work done that you're committing to in all these meetings. Absolutely. What I'm taking away there is the impact on productivity. So how is that universal adoption of virtual meetings becoming a a threat to workplace productivity? Are you seeing that? It seems like the adoption of virtual meetings is kind of flipping that work smarter, not harder. We're working harder, not smarter. Yeah, which is the tendency. I mean, let me tell you the story of how meetings have overtaken our time. I work at a company with, you know, it's a relatively small company compared to Oracle, where I spent, you know, almost 10 years, there's 140,000 people there. We should be able to move with pace, uh, the speed and the size that we are. We're nimble. And this is what has happened to the nature of meetings. And I believe that a lot of your listeners will be able to relate to this. Someone has an idea that they want to run by someone else. They have a question. They need help on a project, whatever it is. I need to communicate with, insert name, Susie. So what I do now in the norm of corporate culture in a virtual, largely virtual environment is I send an email to Susie that says, hey, Susie, I want to chat with you about this idea I have or a question I have. Are you available to chat with me so we can talk it through? Susie now responds. Yeah, that's fine. Absolutely. Let's meet maybe next week sometime. You respond. Great. Is your calendar up to date? I can find some time on there. Or how about between one and three on Thursday or 10 and five on Wednesday? You're looking through your calendar to find those times. Or maybe you even get another person involved in the process, your assistant, to help you schedule the time on the calendar. Now Susie's responding. Tuesday at 1.30 looks great. You've Schedule yourselves a 30-minute one-on-one Zoom because 30 minutes is kind of the minimum acceptable Zoom meeting time that we've all decided upon. I rarely get 15-minute Zoom calls unless they're a sales call that someone is selling me something and they don't want to waste their time until they find out that I'm serious about buying. So I now have, a week from now, a 30-minute call with Susie that is largely something that could have been happened, could have been dealt with in a three-minute phone call. Think of how much time we just wasted, right? So I've tried, here's the mantra, here's the the fix. I just presented the problem. I want to give your audience the solution before they just feel depressed about the nature of work. I have stopped accepting those emails whenever I get an email like that. And whenever I need to initiate an email like that, I refrain. And I instead, I've started using the following mantra, just call myself. Just call myself. That's all you got to say. When someone says, do you have 30 minutes to chat about something? I say, just call myself. When I have a question, I just call someone's cell and I've eliminated all that email back and forth in the 30 minute Zoom. It's not going to happen for another week. And I just pick up the phone. I have a quick conversation with someone and usually within six minutes it's over. And in fact, that conversation was more personal. We created more of a connection in that because it was a casual chat. It wasn't this formal, hi, where are you calling from? Nice to see you. You know, I mean, it's just a different vibe and it creates 
stronger interpersonal relationships, and it speeds up the pace of work tenfold. Right. Yeah, you, you can move through what you're looking to accomplish much faster. You're calling with some immediacy to it as opposed to, again, having that 30 minutes, as you mentioned, that sits on your calendar that then you just feel like you need to fill the entire time or go over. I've been in countless virtual meetings where you spill over five minutes and then you're back to the next one and you've got to bounce from meeting to meeting there. So you're right, that easy phone call, going back to calling someone on the phone, which was something we were commonly doing pre-2020. When I was working in an office before COVID, I spent a lot more time on my phone than I do now. Absolutely. It's completely gone down. We've just transitioned to these Zoom calls. And, you know, I was working at Oracle, like I said before, COVID, and no one ever had their cameras on before COVID. Camera on was a COVID thing, right? I mean, even the virtual companies barely used cameras. So a lot has changed in the way we do virtual work. Absolutely. So what are some simple steps that our audience of HR professionals and their organizations can start implementing to break this trend of meeting missteps and start boosting their productivity? Well, first I would share this information with the team, communicate to them that we are in meeting overload, empathize with the experience that they're having because people will feel seen and that's always a nice experience in the workplace. And then it sets you up for step two, which is to delete every recurring meeting on your Outlook calendar in one fell swoop. Like it. Take that atomic bomb and blow up your Outlook calendar and your entire team's Outlook calendar. Just go for it. Do not be scared. This is the meeting apocalypse and we just got to burn it all to the ground. Think of it as a controlled burn, right? This is the the Outlook forest is the forest we are going to control burn and we're going to rejuvenate that forest. First, by deleting every single recurring meeting. Now, thoughtfully, intentionally, slowly, over time, many of those recurring meetings are going to repopulate, right? They're going to start, life is going to come back to the forest floor and you're going to start to see those things sprinkle in, but many of those meetings will not. And so I'm not anti-recurring meeting. I'm anti the overload of meetings that are many times they're from a previous era that we've just never deleted because it feels like we don't have permission because somehow it would be not productive. That's backwards thinking. And we have to be willing to innovate in the way that we work, not just what we're working on. Yeah, that's really smart. It, it does feel often like we're meeting out of obligation at times. Yeah. When the, the expectation, the culture, the general workplace culture has moved in another direction where you can just move and be more efficient. And it doesn't have to be that you... You need to see people on camera and you need to have these meetings in place. There are better ways to do it. I'm so glad you're calling that to light because I think so many of us can relate and have seen that. Yeah. And then, you know, the next step is to empower employees with the ability to say no to meetings that we have. We can't just get back into the same old patterns. We need to empower people to say this meeting is not a value to me. I could be doing something better. I'm going to say no. And allowing that autonomy. You know, and if you've got employees who are going to take advantage of that and they're not going to be, that's a whole other problem, right? That's a, that's a culture issue that needs to be addressed that is not within the scope of this meeting apocalypse. We're going to assume good intent. That is the role of the HR leader, to assume good intent and to get everyone else to do the same. This, if, if anyone on your team in this, not team, what is it, listener, audience, has not said, well, why don't we assume good intent? Then they're going to start to now, because that is, in my opinion, 
the role of the HR person. We're the moral compass for the organization, right, around people. So we have to assume good intent and assume that people are going to make the right decisions. And if not, it's probably a recruitment issue or a, a larger conversation that needs to happen. Yeah, you've got to empower your teams. You've got to give that allowance to try this new approach, to free up your time, to, again, say no to meetings. I think that is something that uh, we talk so often in this podcast about it coming from the top down, that top down leadership idea, and that can certainly be executed here. Yeah, and I think... A bonus tip here is to allow employees to preserve their time. I block every Tuesday and Thursday. People can't meet with me on those days and and that's okay now. And they know through the outcomes that I achieve that I'm not slacking. I'm doing a lot of work over here and I show up in a way that they don't need to track my time to know that because we're not an activity-based company. We're an outcome-based company and I'm getting the outcomes that I say that I will. So allowing your employees to preserve time by blocking it off on a calendar and not having to justify that, if you're an outcomes-based company, should be fine. It should be empowering. And, and that's something I think many companies are already doing. That's probably not news to many of your listeners, but it is something I would encourage you to keep encouraging your leaders to allow your employees to do. It is so encouraging to hear you say that. I really championed this for a while, that idea of using your calendar as a tool to not just be a reminder of where you need to be, but also set yourself up with time to get things done, get tasks done, be a reminder of when things need to be due so that you're keeping yourself on schedule as well. And it seems like that's that similar idea of really using your calendar to work for you. Absolutely. Not just being, again, someone where the calendar is telling you where you need to be. No, you can kind of dictate what your calendar is and where you want to be. Yeah, exactly. Fantastic. So I mentioned at the start that idea of when we went into the pandemic and so many of the changes that went through, we learned quickly what was not corporate culture, what didn't work. Are there any other workplace trends that you're seeing that are really negatively impacting business performance right now, but have become second nature like the virtual meeting and we're all too comfortable with and are just universally being accepted, but really aren't helping us? Let me count the ways. <laughs> yeah, quite a bit. I think the the largest an umbrella trend that perhaps encapsulates many of the different examples that I could give is the anti-work movement is growing. There is increasing sentiment across the board culturally that the workplace is not one that nurtures. It's not one in which there is that employee-employer social contract that existed, you know, probably was a term that was coined in the 60s, I think it could have been the 70s, where there was a, a an unspoken social contract. The employer's responsibility was to give job security and livable wages to the employee, and the employee's responsibility was to be productive and to help that organization succeed. And it was a symbiotic relationship in which there was a certain amount of trust. And that has eroded over time, and it's eroded due to fear-based leadership decisions that create terrible business practices in the form of layoffs. I mean, back when that was established in the 60s and 70s, the Bureau of Labor Statistics did not measure layoff activity because it just wasn't done. And in the first recession, people didn't go straight to layoffs. There was a sort of, we're going to move to temps, we're going to go to gigs, we're going to have uh, maybe furloughs, right? There was a massaging of how we reduce employee-related expenses. And as every recession has come, employers have become more and more emboldened to just burn their companies to the ground. I mean, you just saw 
I don't know when this is going to get published live, but Budweiser is now having thousands of layoffs due to the fact that their sales suffered so significantly because of the decisions they made around marketing. And that is a travesty, right? I mean, all of the beginning of 2023 was tech layoff announcement after tech layoff announcement, and people were being treated as commodities that, I mean, they were just expensable. Oh, you couldn't check your LinkedIn feed without seeing someone announcing a layoff Absolutely. Every day, every hour, it felt like. And you couple that with the increasing inequity in the wage gap between CEOs and frontline workers. The men to women pay ratio isn't getting much better, much faster. You see so many different ways in which uh, people are being mistreated. Safety standards aren't being upheld compounded by COVID and the essential workers who are some of the lowest paid employees in America are the ones that are essential. And yet they're not valued as such economically. And all of that bubbles up. And now you're seeing anti-work sentiment growing in the form of increased unionization that we haven't previously seen at the level that we're seeing it now. You're seeing brand and culture merging into this one blob of, of noise because people are going on social media and they're posting about how outraged they are about what their employer is doing. And that's affecting the brand. Budweiser is dealing with that right now. And you're seeing people being vocal about what they do and don't accept. The great resignation was a symptom of that. They're opting out. I can look at my house outside. I'm looking out my window right now. And there's my neighbors who are 22 and 23 years old. They just bought a house and they're primary sources of income are Etsy crafts making and selling and then refurbishing old chess sets that the guy buys on eBay. That's both of their jobs. They said, we're not doing corporate. We don't want to feel like we're part of some soulless capitalistic system, you know? So that discord is going to create more and more problems and challenges in this. It's going to create a, a narrative which is really another way to say a culture where there's us versus them mentality in business leaders and business employees, which is really actually a fake narrative because we all want the same thing. Right. Leaders want people who really care about the business and people want jobs they really care about. So we all want the same thing. The question is, how do we get there? The answer is culture. That is fantastic. So Let's take the positive spin. We were looking again, maybe what are some of the challenges that have become all too accepted? Is there an emerging trend in workplace culture that you're excited about and want to see more commonly adopted within organizations? Yeah, and I don't think it'll be news to the HR listeners on this call. We got to have some conversations that would have been impossible five years ago, increasing conversations about diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging, increasing conversations about bringing your whole self to work, increasing conversations about well-being, mental health in the workplace. That is not stuff we were doing 10 years ago. And so all of that, I think we have a long way to go, but the fact that it's on the table is a huge move forward. I also think we saw a temporary death in hustle culture. Hustle culture was this, you know, I'll outwork everyone else mass hallucination <laughs> that we were all subscribing to that was really bad for the self. And I think that that died down and maybe coming back a little bit, which meeting apocalypse is trying to combat, but we've at least seen it done differently, realized companies can still succeed even if we aren't subscribing to hustle culture. And so maybe we can revisit that again. Mindfulness in the workplace. I mean, a lot of things have changed because people faced death 
took a look at their priorities and made new decisions. You know, suddenly I'm spending a lot of time at home and realizing, hey, maybe it's not so bad. You know, that's great. There is a silver lining here that I think the workplace can benefit from. We just have to stay conscious. Yeah, we're talking about more of the issues and challenges now more than, than I feel like we were previously as well, which is the start of change, right? You got to talk about it first to then acknowledge that it's the issue. Now, how do you solve it? Yeah, we're in a battle between dark and light right now in the workplace and HR has to lead the torch with getting to the light because it could go really bad and we could have a different kind of an apocalypse or it can go really wonderfully. And I think there's a way for everyone to win if we can just nudge ourselves. I've even heard private equity people talking about culture being important these days. So we might actually be on the verge of creating some change here. All right. Well, I, I love where we're going with this. So Again, here with Jessica Kriegel, Chief Scientist of Workplace Culture for Culture Partners. Jessica, what's one thing our audience of HR listeners can do immediately to impact workplace culture? The one thing that they can start doing is learn the results pyramid, which is a model that very simply outlines what workplace culture is in an actionable way, which will help them operationalize culture. And I'll explain it very briefly. And then if you've never heard of it, Google it. You can also read about it in a book called Change the Culture, Change the Game. Great book by um, Tom Smith and Roger Connors. The results pyramid at the peak, this is what culture is. It is the results pyramid. And at the peak of that pyramid is results. That's why it's called the results pyramid. Culture is all about driving results. Your culture right now is perfectly aligned to the results that you're getting. And if you want to achieve bigger, better, better results, transformative results, next level growth results, you need a different culture. And so let's ask ourselves the question, well, what gets us results? It's the actions that our employees take every day. We all take actions. That's what leads to our results. That's it. Now, most leaders stop there and they focus on actions. When we need to get new results, they think about what actions we can take. In HR, that looks like perhaps we should do an org redesign. Maybe we need to hire or fire people. Maybe we need to do a bunch of training. Let's implement new technology. We can do a new recognition program. Those are all actions. And when we stay at that action to result level, we're in what we call the action trap. And it's a rat race of activity that really leads to a kind of micromanagement mentality and is exhausting and not sustainable. What we want to do at Culture Partners is get our clients to think beneath the action trap. What actually drives action? What gets people to be proactive? The answer is the beliefs they hold, the mindsets that they have. It's the way people think and, and the beliefs they hold will drive their actions. So that's where we want to make a difference. If we can transform their beliefs about the meaning of the work they're doing, about each other, about the what is important in work and how we work, then we can really drive sustained behavioral change. And so then we have to ask one last question, what drives our beliefs? And this is true for humanity. It's not just a workplace thing. The answer is experiences. The experiences we have every day shape our beliefs. As a child, I had experiences at home, at school, and church, and those led to beliefs that feel true for me that then lead to my actions, which then are getting me results today, right? And it's the same in the workplace. So if we can intentionally craft experiences every single day in all of our interactions, then we are starting to shape beliefs, which will get people to take action, which is going to get you the results. And that is culture shifting. That's culture adaptation in action. I love that. All right. So Dr. Jessica Kriegel, Chief Scientist, Workplace Culture for Culture Partners. 
Jessica, is there anything you'd like to share with our audience? Maybe something you're excited about with Culture Partners or something you're excited about coming up personally? Uh, now's a great time to promote and plug anything you'd like to for our audience. Well, thank you so much. Yeah, uh, I mean, we have just released new research that we did in partnership with Stanford about the ROI of culture, which I think your HR audience is going to be really interested in. So I highly recommend that you go to our website, podcast.culture.io, and you can download our research and see some of the uh, interesting stats in there about that. And then I have a weekly newsletter on LinkedIn, which you're also more than welcome to join. And it's called This Week in Culture. And it's just a weekly update on what's trending in culture, what we're thinking about in the culture sphere and what you need to know getting ready for the next week. That's fantastic. So what's our best place for our audience to reach you? Um, Well, for the... For the Stanford research, go to podcast.culture.io. And for my LinkedIn newsletter, just go to LinkedIn, look up Jessica Kriegel, and then join my weekly newsletter. Nice and easy. Perfect. All right, Jessica, a couple questions left for you before we let you go that are more about you and your professional growth. So what's something you've learned about yourself over the past year that you feel has made you a better leader? Uh, about me? Um I would say over the last three years, I, I'm 40, I'm about to turn 40. And when up until about 37, I always thought that if I could achieve some certain amount of wealth or fame or success or job title, that then I would have made it. I would be happy, you know? And uh, by the time I was 37, I had achieved a lot of those things and I wasn't feeling happy. I was still feeling empty. And uh, something happened in me where I realized that I was barking up the wrong tree. And it's not to say that I don't want to be successful in my career, but I realized that what I was chasing was bigger meaning in the work that I was doing, a broader purpose, more of an impact, more service than I had ever been thinking about before. I mean, up until the, you know, the end of my thirties, I was really thinking about me and very self-focused life. And it was pretty empty. I followed the advice of all those people that came before me that said, follow your passion, right? Well, following your passion is a very self-focused activity. What do I want? You know, and, and now I've upgraded to thinking about compassion and how I can serve and be of maximum service and be as useful as possible. And somehow those things that I thought would make me happy, they're coming now more than ever, even though I'm not trying to get them. There's this law of abundance thing that's kicked in. And so being other focused rather than me focused, you know, sometimes it's hard to remember because I'm, I got an ego. I'm, you know, I am very, very human and flawed. Uh, but when I do remember it, I feel so fulfilled. Thank you for sharing that, Jessica. I mean, yeah, you redefine success for yourself. Yeah, good way to put it. I could have said that a lot shorter. <laughs> I put my marketing degree to use many years Thank later you. with my rare opportunity to do so. Uh, and then one last question here. You mentioned it briefly about just getting some advice from people throughout your career. Is there any piece of advice that you've leaned on throughout your professional career that you think has really made a difference and you could pass along, pay it forward to our audience of HR professionals? Absolutely. And it is advice that came from my current CEO, the best leader I've ever worked for. His name is Joe Terry. And uh, he his advice was to lead with love. And what that means is, is not obviously romantic love. We're not getting into dangerous HR territory here. It is agape love, the kind of love, the way that Thomas Aquinas defined it, which is to will the good of another. And 
I'll give you a simple example of what that looks like in the workplace, because it's not just about touchy-feely being a good person. It's really about driving business results in an elevated and conscious way. There was these two teams on, on the in the company that were in a sort of battle, as oftentimes there are. They had competing initiatives. They were supposed to be collaborating, but there was a competition culture between the two. And one was always blaming the other for not delivering, and the other was always blaming the other for not prioritizing the things they needed in order to deliver. And the leader of one came to our CEO and said, I got to get this other team to start paying attention to what we need. How do I do that? And Joe said, why don't you put together a half day strategy session, invite them to it and make the entire agenda about how you can support them. And the leader said, no, 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 you don't understand. I need them to support me. It's not me supporting them. And Joe said, just do it. See what happens. So they did. And the, that was to go back to the results pyramid. That was a really powerful experience that was rooted in the power of love, willing the good of another. Instead of trying to force you to comply with what I need and making it about the self, let me give and be of service and see what happens when I become useful to you. Well, they solved a lot of problems in that half day strategic session. And the experience led to a new belief, which is they care about us. And that led them to take a new action, which is, why don't we return the favor? Which is what that person wanted all along, right? The law of karma. And that got the whole company a new result. Leading with love is not our go-to oftentimes in a business world. It's all about getting. But when we lead differently, and this is really just servant leadership in another frame, the results can be really powerful and transformational. That is awesome. That's some great advice. Easy to pass along, easy to take going forward but certainly one that can make a big impact. So thank you for sharing that one, Jessica. So again, Dr. Jessica Kriegel, Chief Scientist of Workplace Culture for Culture Partners. Jessica, before we let you go, one last bonus question, and this is all built around motivation. So you wake up in the morning and your feet hit the floor. What's the one thing that gets you started and motivated to get going for your day? For me personally, oh, I'm going to cry saying this. Sorry, I get emotional, but I ask God to help me be of maximum service that day and to allow me to do his will and to show up however it is that I need to show up for that to happen naturally. Very cool. I like that. Yeah, thank you for sharing it. So again, Dr. Jessica Kriegel, Chief Scientist of Workplace Culture for Culture Partners. Thank you so much for joining the HR Works podcast. I really enjoyed this conversation. So again, having a real conversation about the meeting apocalypse, about some of the challenges that are facing workplace culture, but ways to take it forward as well. So really appreciated your time, your insight, and hope we can keep this conversation going. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. All right. Thanks, Jess. Thank you for listening to the HR Works Podcast. Be sure to check out our new episodes every Tuesday. Follow us on all major streaming platforms, including iTunes, Spotify, and Amazon Audible.